Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Hey everyone, this is your host, Dan Bruton. You're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. On today's episode, my guest is Linda Wexler, who works for the Oregon Manufacturing Extension Partnership. It's a mouthful, I always say. Yes. But it's o- OMEP, for short. <laughs> OMEP. It's a long name. Well, thanks for being on, Linda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I guess uh, your colleague Jasmine was on, gosh, it's been a, over a year now. I think it was two years two ago. Two years ago. Wow. Gosh, we're just getting older. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it'd be best to start. We'll get into uh, about you and how you got into the work. Can you talk about what OMEP is and what it does here in Oregon? Sure. Um, so OMAP is a, a nonprofit consulting firm. Uh, we're actually part of a network of MEP centers. Um, so the MEP and OMAP stands for Manufacturing Extension Partnership. And all of those centers are under the umbrella of a federal organization called um, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, mm. which is actually a um, organization that's under the Department of Commerce. Okay. And so each state has an MEP center. Um, Oregon has one. Some states have two, depending on the size of mm-hmm. the state and kind of the density of manufacturing um, within the state. Um, so, and and we're primarily uh, funded through the through NIST, the National Institute of Stan- uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology, and the Department of of commerce, um, and we use this funding to offset the cost of our consulting services. Mm-hmm. So, and that really helps us to be able to work with um, the smaller and medium sized manufacturers in in the state. Anything so, else? what do you, uh, was the whole mission was set up to? Uh, just help s- small and medium manufacturers? What's kind of the sweet spot of what, what you do? And i also love to you know, know about how you got into it too. Sure. So um, we that is our sweet spot is the small and medium-sized manufacturers okay. because of the federal funding we're able yeah. to offset our costs to those manufacturers. And they're often the manufacturers that really need our help the most. Mm-hmm. Um, they normally don't have the resources to uh, hire a consultant. Um, and so um, we're able to be there to support them at a, at a reduced fee. So it's not as big of an investment for yeah. them. Okay. Um, but we support them at the same level as, as any other consultant firm so we're okay. really bringing like fabulous value to them yeah and so how, how did you get into it <laughs> so that's a long uh, that's a long story um, I actually arrived at OMEP with a pretty non-traditional background okay. um, I back in 1999 I uh, graduated from UC Berkeley with actually with a degree in economics okay. and uh, minor in computer science um, at the time it was kind of the the dot-com boom it was the late 90s (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so I I took my computer science degree and um, started working for a startup um, out in the Bay Area and um, and then I um, I actually spent a little bit of time working for them and after that company fizzled I uh, worked for a much larger company Um, if you're familiar with Lockheed Martin Mm -hmm. um, Space Systems Mm -hmm. um, they're a giant aerospace company um, out in Sunnyvale California Um, I spent about five years with them programming satellite software to test commercial satellites Hmm. and so that was pretty exciting for a first time 
programmer. Um, So uh, it was a fabulous place to work with. I got to work with PhDs on a regular basis. Um, So I worked there for about five years. um, And although uh, I loved writing software, um, I just got really tired of sitting in front of a computer for 12 to 14 hours a day. So I felt like, okay, I was ready for a change. Um, And that's when I left Lockheed and I started cooking professionally. So from aerospace to to being a chef? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd always love food. Um, I actually, I grew up in um, Eastern European family. I'm Hungarian. Um, That was very food focused. Uh Uh, My dad baked bread. He was a bread bread baking hobbyist and and we were always trying new uh, foods we would try Korean food and Japanese food before it was really interesting to people Mm -hmm, you know we were pretty adventurous and um, and so I, I just I grew up cooking with my family and um, and trying new foods. So I thought, well, you know, why don't I become a professional chef? Um, and at that time, also, I was very influenced by the whole celebrity chef food sure. network yeah, movement, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where uh, you know you had these folks becoming these superstars in cooking and um, I would watch them all the time. And I decided that's what I wanted to be at that time, really naively. Um, So I kind of took a chance and and moved to the East coast um, and I started working um, or cooking for catering companies. That's where I really um, learned how to cook. And then I also decided that I would go to culinary school. So I, I went to culinary school in New York City um, at the French Culinary Institute, okay. which now is actually called the International Culinary Center. Huh. Uh, and, I, and I went there to get some more of that traditional training of the French style of cooking. So I wasn't just learning by, by doing. Yeah. Um, and that was a great experience. Um, once I got out there to working in ca- with catering companies, though, I had gone from making a lot of money yeah. in high tech and right. software, and um, to making at the th- at time I think I was making about five twenty five an hour yeah. with no benefits. Right. right. <laughs> hmm. So it was, a, and and it was really really hard work. I mean, there was no celebrity chefing there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, one of the things that, um, one of, I remember one of my first tasks was, um, when I first started learning how to cook was that the head chef had sat me down with a a giant box of spinach, um, these, these leaves of spinach. And it was a box about that came up to my waist and he told me, he said, sit down and take all the stems off of the spinach. That's okay. what you're going to do for the day. Okay. So that was my job. Yeah. I sat there and I took the stems off each individual piece of spinach for hours and hours. And wow. so um, I really got to learn how non-celebrity being a chef yeah, was. Yeah, it's not quite the... Uh... <laughs> Very meditative, though, not very glamorous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so it was very, very hard work, um, but I did learn a lot, um, and um, I it got to the point where I had spent a couple years doing it, and um, I thought, well, you know, am I going to stick with this or not? Um, I was feeling very tired every day because yeah. it's very physically demanding work. Sure, and so. 
I um, I would come home and take a bath and be like, can I do this for another day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, at that time when I'm kind of was kind of having these thoughts, I had two opportunities pop up, and one of them was to actually become a sous chef for one of the catering companies that I was working for, which would have meant overseeing 30 other chefs. And it would have been a great opportunity for me. At the same time, I was at a party. And um, at that party, I met another uh, chef that talked about becoming a research chef. So he said, those words. And I asked him, (laughs) what is what is a research (laughs) chef? Um, And so he said, well, research chef takes, um, you know, they have a training in the culinary arts and they cook, but they also have training in food science. I was like, what is food science? So I was really, um, really curious. And um, so that night, even after the party, I, I got home and, and I sat down and I Googled food science. Okay. One, and the first search um, engine result that came up was um, the Oregon State University Food Innovation Center, hmm. which is here in Portland. Hmm. And um, and so I I researched them and, and I was I, I decided to give them a call. So I called. You were living on the East Coast at the time? I was in Philadelphia, okay. Pennsylvania. Any connection to Oregon at all? Or? No connection to Oregon okay. at all. Um, but I was really fascinated by what they do because yeah. they're, a, they're an innovation center that actually applies food science to um, helping entrepreneurs to start their food companies. Okay. So they do things like research on behalf of food, you know, especially emerging food companies companies. Um, They do consumer testing, um, product development, uh, quality testing. And so you can go in there as an entrepreneur and, um, you know, ask them to do some food science stuff on your behalf. And so they will consult with you and help you there. Interesting. They're a university extension program. So I called them and I said, well, you know, I'm really curious about this. I'm very interested. I live on the East Coast. um, But, um, you know, tell me more. And so I was talking with them. And at one point, I asked them if it would be okay if I could intern with them. And they said, sure, as long as it's free. (laughs) Yeah. Asterisk. (laughs) Yeah. So, um so I had some other reasons to move to Oregon. I had or always wanted to live in Portland. Okay. I had visited before, and I thought, well, why not? Cool. So I moved to Portland. I started interning at the OSU FIC, um, and it was a great experience. And that led to um, an opportunity to um, work with them on a research project that led to my master's degree at hmm. OSU. Okay. So... Fast forward years and years, I um, completed a food a research a research um, project in uh, what I was studying was colorful potatoes in Oregon. Okay, so we were testing consumers to see if they were um, if they would eat these very weirdly colored potatoes, purple and yellow spots. That's pink me. Potatoes. You're marketing to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Like the, Do you like them? Yes. Oh, like okay. The, the baby, like different colored potatoes. Yes. Yes. Are you responsible for this? Um, maybe partly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um, Oregon potato growers were growing these potatoes and they wanted to sell them, but they weren't sure if they would um, if they would sell in the marketplace. Uh-huh. And so we would test. Um, we would ask consumers, "Would you buy this? How much would you pay?" Yeah. And so I ran some focus groups and did some consumer testing as part of my research. Um, and that was my thesis as well. So uh, I graduated back in um, 2011 okay. um, from OSU with a food science master's degree. 
And um, and immediately after that, I started working for a food company called uh, Pacific Foods of Oregon. Oh, yeah. 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 So they're kind of they're They used to be called Pacific Natural Foods. And mm-hmm. now they're just kind of called Pacific. They were by, bought by Campbell's. Yes, they Shit, were recently right? bought. Yes. Yeah. In mm-hmm. the last couple of years, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked for them as, as they were the first food company that I had worked for. And um, and I they gave me a lot of opportunities to work in different areas like supply chain and contract manufacturing and logistics. Interesting. And, okay. um, at one point, I was running a, a production team in, in, in the warehouse um, of, of one of their um, distribution centers. So I got a lot of great experience there. Yeah. And this is bringing me up to OMAP finally. So I had heard of um, this opportunity to work for OMAP on a uh, grant that was food industry related. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just was very excited about the idea of becoming a consultant. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was so cool. I didn't even know what consulting was, but I knew that I wanted to do it. Yeah. So I applied for it, and they took a chance on me, and um, that was five years ago. Cool. And so I, I, that's when I started with OMAP and have been learning how to be a consultant ever yeah. since. Well, we'll get into that, but I'm also curious. Um, you know, I was talking to you before we started recording that. Uh, you know, tech dominates a lot of what's going on here in Portland or emerging companies like that, but the manufacturing part is really big driver of our economy here right so can you talk about just uh you know macro maybe of what's going on in manufacturing in oregon but also you know nationally too so i'd love to just kind of get your thoughts on that and sure what's going on. i'm not sure if i can speak to what's happening nationally yeah. but i can tell you about oregon great um so oregon um we have actually surprisingly oregon um we have a lot of manufacturing here so mm-hmm. uh I was just reading a statistics, 23% of our gross domestic product is attributed to manufacturing. And so that's a big percentage Mm -hmm. for a, for a state of our size. Mm -hmm. Um, and with the number of companies that are here, we, we, we have 5,000 manufacturer around 5,000 manufacturing companies in Oregon. Um, so, and another surprising thing is, and maybe not so surprising to people, but it was surprising to me that 93% of the, those that 5,000 manufacturers employ less than 100 employees. Yeah, that makes I can see that. And if and 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 even more or less, um, I guess I could say 87% is less than 50 employees. Mm. So these are very. I mean, if you think about companies manufacturing companies within the united states it's not uncommon to have a manufacturing company have 400 employees mm-hmm. more than that thousands mm-hmm. of employees for us the majority of our manufacturers are less than 50 so really small small yep. manufacturers um so and when you think about manufacturing you think about high tech so you don't think about the small small mm-hmm. manufacturers, mm-hmm. Um, and and with, we certainly do have high tech manufacturing here, and a lot a lot of it is suppliers to Intel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually our biggest industry is um, is is in in Oregon is manufacturing for high tech um, and electronics. But if you take Intel and its suppliers out, okay, then our biggest industry is actually food and beverage. Really? Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. So tell me a little more about, I guess, 
what types of like food and beverage companies? So, um, and specifically maybe like what's kind of growing in that yeah, sense. Yeah. Right? So, so food and beverage in general as, as a sector is, is always growing or seems to have, yeah. seems to be just consistently growing mm-hmm. in Oregon and it hasn't slowed down. Um, I, of course, Oregon is a huge draw for companies that are making products that are very artisan, very, you know, natural, organic, um, whole foods based. Um, maybe they cater to specific diets, um, keto, things like that. So any, the types of food and beverage that we have in our state is very high quality. It's very, um, focused on Oregon products. So one of the reasons why people come here to start a food and beverage company is because we have such great resources like blueberries, hazelnuts, things like that, that you can make great products out of. Mm -hmm. So um, that, as far as folks that I've worked with, um, I've worked with breweries, wineries, companies making those artisanal chocolates that you'll see at Whole Foods oh, or yeah. New Seasons. Um, yeah, yeah th- that's the majority of the of the food and beverage that's happening here. I guess would cannabis be under that too? Because obviously that's a huge, yes. uh, yeah, that is uh, big uh, growing too. sector here. Absolutely, so. hmm. absolutely, yes. Cannabis is big, um, and CBD products yeah. are now really taking off. Mm-hmm. Edible CD, CBD products. Gosh, I mean, we're just nash. was at New Seasons the other day, and they have a whole section, you know, dedicated yeah. <laughs> to. So, and a lot of those are they're here, they're in Oregon, right? They are. So mm-hmm. interesting. Um, well, one of the things I know we want to talk about is, and your colleague Jasmine mentioned this to me, and, I, and it is important, is not just necessarily what you do, uh, the consulting piece, but. Um, I guess specifically around the workforce. Mm-hmm. So what's the state of the manufacturing workforce? Uh, how is that? How are you working with them to develop it? Can you just talk about that? Sure. Um, workforce is is by far the biggest challenge that manufacturers face today. Um, I have heard that from a number of studies and statistics that have recent been, recently been floating around, but also from personal experience. When I work with clients their biggest complaint to me is I can't find skilled people. I can't find people with the skills and knowledge to come in and work in manufacturing, work at my company, work in production specifically. Mm -hmm. Sure, they can find other administrative roles. Um, Even those, though, are difficult to find. Now that we're experiencing full employment nationally and in Oregon, Mm -hmm. um, there's not as much, there's not as many people looking for work. Mm -hmm. And that's, only one piece of it. The other big piece of it is that um, the baby boomers who have those skills in manufacturing experience are retiring. Hmm. So we don't have them anymore. Um, The new, the young folks, um, they don't see manufacturing as being a interesting career choice. Hmm. And I think that that's uh, a big problem with that is perception. It's marketing. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, what are some of the things that I guess you're, you see companies doing or you're helping them like kind of overcome that perception part of it. Right. Uh, yeah. So we're, so we're, we're helping with the, there's a bigger effort out there to help overcome this, you know, shift this perception because yeah. the perception, um, you know, manufacturing is not sexy. It won't make a lot of money. It's really dirty. You know, I don't, I don't want to be out on a, 
factory floor. It's, uh, you know, they have this idea that it's like this Ford, <laughs> Ford kind of assembly line sure. that they would be working on. Yeah. And in some cases it is, yeah. but manufacturing has changed so much. It's these days it's highly automated. Um, it's very clean room type environments are mm-hmm. very, um, mm-hmm common especially if you're a supplier to intel or working for intel Um, you can be working with really fun products like beehives and leather goods Mm -hmm. and um and so it's not just boring widgets and so um and so some of the uh, there's a perception there that you know that it, we, we have to change this perception, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of organizations, both public and private, of which OMEP is a part of, okay. that is helping to get the word out there about what manufacturing really is and what it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that OMEP does is that we participate in a larger effort, which is Manufacturing Day, mm-hmm. and that um, is a yearly event, I believe it's in October, that um, attracts Um, We bring in high schoolers to manufacturers, and the high schoolers can tour manufacturers within Oregon and can see what it's really like to work there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, one of my first jobs, I worked in a furniture factory, Mm -hmm. and and I just found it really creative uh, in a way. Uh, So... It's interesting that when I have two young kids, and I mean, these are paths that I would really like them to pursue. Yeah. So, just in trades in general. So that, that's that's really cool. I guess how does the legislation piece affect that workforce development? So specifically, like the the Equal Pay Act, um, and in stuff in Oregon. So you you know talk about that. How that's affect? Is it a challenge? Pro or both or well, I think, I think the Equal Pay Act. That's good. I'm saying that's good, but I'm just curious yeah. to see how, uh, yeah, this legislation, yeah, is affecting the um, your work specifically, but also on the perception side of it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess yeah, we'll we'll, get, we'll let's just take the Equal Pay Act for example. How is that yeah affecting it? So, um, so I might I might step back to how yeah. how uh, OMAP is helping these helping manufacturers address workforce challenges. Okay, let's do that. Um, so, aside from getting trying to shift the perception and get the the word out, um, we also are helping manufacturers with one of their biggest complaints is. So they maybe will find someone after a, a, a long time of searching because, again, with full employment, it's mm-hmm. tough to find people yeah. with the skills that, that they that they are looking for. So maybe they find someone and somebody and th- that person joins their company. They have issues with that person may not stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get uh, poached by a competitor mm-hmm. uh, that may be offering a higher hourly salary Um, or they might just decide to move out of the state. You know, there's other circumstances. And so some of the things that manufacturers have some control over is to really engage people as soon as they hire them so Mm -hmm. that they um, can show them that there is a path forward in their career within the company. So one of the ways that we help manufacturers to do this is we help them to create training programs internally to Mm -hmm. their companies. Mm -hmm. And so they, we go in there and we help them to create training. If they don't already have it, they might already have Mm -hmm. it. Um, Training and, and 
engaging those employees through training and development. So not only do we help them put together a training program, so once a person joins a manufacturing company, they can learn new skills and knowledge while there, Mm -hmm. Um, but they also, we also help them put together a development plan for that employees so that they see a future right so Mm -hmm. they know if i learn this today that i will advance to this position tomorrow and so and they can see that path all the way up Mm -hmm. that really helps with turnover and keeping employees engaged and interested in staying within the company even if a competitor company decides oh well i'm going to pay you a dollar more an hour Mm -hmm. so um so it helps with the retention of those folks The other great part of training and education internal to a company and external, if they're willing to support somebody through that, um, is that you don't have to hire somebody with very specific skills and knowledge. Mm -hmm. You can hire somebody that's just a good cultural fit Mm -hmm. for your company. So Mm -hmm. you you just think they fit great with your company's culture. Yeah. And and they're just a good match. They're really interested in what your company does. They're excited. They show up to work every day. Um, they're, they have leadership potential or other soft skills that are really valuable to you. Well, then you don't have to worry about them having specific skills. They can learn those skills as soon as they work for your company. And, right. and this has been very effective for OMAP. We call this um, smart talent. And this is the way that we help companies to address the workforce challenge. Related to this is um, pay equity because pay equity is something that companies struggle with because they might not have very transparent ways that they promote people or that they assign compensation Mm -hmm. to various positions in their company. Mm -hmm. And so because pay equity is requiring them to be transparent and to, um, to show why there might be differences in compensation um, and have those things be based on merit and other criteria as opposed to the factors that we don't want them to be based on, which is like religion, being a veteran, or having some other characteristic that we don't want to affect compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, So we help, when we go in and we help establish these training programs, we help them to... Uh, address that transparency. Okay, so they establish training and then people are promoted and advanced through the company based on how much skills and knowledge they learn versus any other criteria. And so, and since compensation is based on that, um, you really have a transparent way of showing my employees are really truly earning their compensation based on skills, knowledge, merit, and it's very transparent. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one of the ways that we help companies to navigate that. Gotcha. And also just learn about your day-to-day, because I was asking you too before we started recording. I mean, you're on site, right? You're going to manufacturers. Are you doing it all over the state, or where's the concentration maybe live? Yeah, so we we at OMAP, we have 17 consultants, and we are spread across the state. We try to spread ourselves out as much as possible. Okay. I I work in the Portland area, though I'm not limited to this area. Mm-hmm. We go to the, where the manufacturers are. So when we have a client engagement, we go to their company. Mm-hmm. So we don't have them come to OMAP. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're with companies anywhere from four hours in a day to like, call, it, call it a half day mm-hmm. or eight hours, like a full day of being there. Okay. 
sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes yeah. once a month. It just depends on what the client needs right. um, and how much time they're willing to set aside to work with us. Um, so we're we're very engaged and we do a lot of driving. <laughs> yeah, that all over the state. Uh, well, thanks. I guess my last question is. Are you still a chef? I mean, are you, do you have any kind of <laughs> side gigs or anything? Or um, No side gigs, though. Uh, whenever anybody asks me to do the food for their uh, party, I'm happy to do it, <laughs> <laughs> or at least to help them organize it. Yeah. Um, my sister is uh, is getting married in the next year, and I've already planned her dinner or her entire dinner menu You know, in but my mind. Yeah. <laughs> but she's not making you cook it, right? She's not making me cook <laughs> it, That'd be, and yeah. she may not even decide to go for it. <laughs> But but I, I have it planned out. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. hey, Linda, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It was really interesting. Uh, and, you know, again, knowing your colleague Jasmine, I think the work you're doing is great. And it's, it should be a spotlight on kind of the manufacturing in Oregon. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruden, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. 